This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, March 15th, 2023 edition, and there's certainly a lot happening in markets, financial markets, the financial sector, uh, and the economy as a whole. And uh, certainly uh, an interesting time. You know, it's it's one of those things where many don't understand the, you know, let me back up. A lot of people fight the last war. It's one of the one, one of the major lessons that stick with me whenever I'm thinking about risk of any kind. And it's because we have memories. Humans are shaped by their experiences. And when you're talking about risk in, say, banks, for example, everyone focuses on credit risk because that's the last experience that they've they've had with major banking crises. It's, oh, what about credit risk? And, and think about this from a regulatory standpoint as well. Right, the Dodd-Frank bill was all about forcing banks to take less credit risk. And what's interesting here is that this is caused by the exact opposite. Not enough credit risk. Isn't that interesting? And it's a risk that most people don't even think about, don't even understand. Duration risk, not just for the bonds that they hold, but any type of debt instrument that the an entity of theirs holds. And, you know, the world cuts, it cuts both ways, right? That's, that's what happens with regulation. It cuts both ways. You fix one problem, you can create another. And typically, regulation is good at fixing and avoiding that last problem. But it pops up somewhere else. And that's what's happened here. Now, is this a calamity for the economy? No, I don't think it is. Does it change the dynamics in the banking industry and the finance industry as a whole? Yeah, I think a little bit. We'll dig into that a little bit more. Uh, but it's knock-on effects in the broader economy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was saying I, I expect a, a first half, choppy first half and a more bullish second half based on a Fed pivot. But you have to have a catalyst for a Fed pivot. Fed always runs full speed off of that cliff until, you know, they, they see it right in front of them. And then they'll slow down and, you know, maybe they... Maybe they slow down fast enough. Maybe they don't. We shall see. Will they slow down next week 
next month, etc. And how hard? How hard are they hitting that break? So we're going to talk about all this. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you on today's radio show and podcast to answer your finance and investment questions and give you my straight and unbiased answers. That's what we're here for. We're here to help you unpack the, the headlines, but also not necessarily the headlines. Headlines are interesting. And but it always reminds me of the bias of whatever is in front of you, you pay attention to. You know, there used to be a story where uh, this fisherman said, there's no fish in the sea smaller than three inches long. Why? Because he's out there fishing all the time. And then he looked at his net and the, the gap in his, and his net was three inches long. So all the small fish he never caught didn't mean they weren't there, but he didn't see it, right? It wasn't in front of his face. So that's what he thought. So that, that's some, that's a kind of analogy for a lot of, a lot of things in life. You think that the, the, the headlines are the most important. You think what's in front of you is the most important, but oftentimes it's not. And that's why this is a constant journey to learn about all parts of the market, all different sectors, the idiosyncrasies of each sector, of each economy, each asset class. And that's what we're here to help you do is try to keep your eye on the things that matter, not just the headlines, not just the fancy, sexy, exciting stories or companies. But it's about what consistent quality investing is about. And that's keeping your eye on the reality of the situations, uh, of, of the companies you're looking at, the asset classes you're looking at. Not getting too high, not getting too low. That's a Phil Jackson thing. He was always very even keeled on the sidelines. And his players were that way. In tough times and in good times. And so that's how you have to be. And times like this, you know, it can be difficult. And I would say that the market operates in the gray area. The world is in the gray area. Unfortunately, in politics, people get polarized in one way or the other. But the reality is often somewhere in the middle. And that's the same with market. No asset class, no investment is the holy grail. No asset, no investment is the worst thing ever. And so in these times when banks are, are, and the financial industry talked about a lot, you know, there are opportunities here. So we're going to help unpack those. So the phone lines are open for your calls at 888-99-CHART. I've got a lot of material to cover today. One is on ratings downgrades for seven regional banks from Moody's. So we're going to look at that. Also... I want to touch on the shale industry and what's happening with supply out of there. And then the I want to talk about globalization or D is globalization in a rapid decline. We're going to look at some numbers. And then lastly, the ESG rules. ESG rules uh, coming down the pipe for retirement funds. So those are the things that are on the docket for me. Also, some voice bank questions to answer on Carnival Cruise as well as Gold and Silver. 
and then an iTunes review question as well. So that's all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, plus your live calls at 888 chart. Now let's take a quick look at the market today. Uh, we closed well off the lows, but it was still a relatively rough day uh, for markets. The broad market was down about 0.8%. The small and mid caps, those were all down about 1.7%. Those got hit the most, including small cap value, because that's where you know the the those smaller financial companies, banks, uh, they tend to live uh, at least right now. So that's uh, that was the market so far today. Kind of a a, a puke in the commodity space, despite and the, the dollar was stronger. And I think that's pricing in a a recession. And I certainly think that's possible, but it's more of the supply side. You know, it takes a really bad recession to drop demand overall. Uh, and the really a story in the in the commodity space right now is in the supply side, which remains tight for most of the markets. Now, here's a reminder. There are only seven days left to register for the Invest Talk Wealth webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio on Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. Head over to investtalk.com and register. Only one week left. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, and the phone, Invest Talk phone lines are open, and I'm waiting for your finance and investment questions now at 888-99-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Afternoon, gentlemen. This is Stephen out of Charleston, South Carolina. I just had a question about two ticker symbols. One of them is S-V-O-L, the VIX. Uh, option cover call strategy approach, and also SCHP, which is the uh, Charles Schwab's tips. Want to know what you thought about those two different stocks in this market? Love to hear feedback on those two. Again, it's SVOL as a ticker, and then SCHP. Appreciate the time, y'all, and uh, love your insight. Thanks, guys. All right, looking at two fairly different names, and one is a Simplify Volatility Premium ETF. You're saying it's a covered call strategy. I don't see that this is a covered call strategy. I mean, it's been, well, I guess it could be. Uh, 0.66% ex expense ratio, not terrible. Uh, look at the portfolio. U.S. large cap blend, leaning on the growth side of the market, so don't love that. 
Uh, I'd really have to unpack this one. I don't really understand what the strategy is. Obviously, it has not performed well since it launched just uh, last, looks like last May. So, yeah, I'm, I'm passing on it. There's nothing that gets me excited about it. I also have to understand the strategy. So, uh, if you want to call back and maybe unpack the strategy a little bit more, I could, I could help there. Um, and then the Schwab Tips ETF. I would say this tips are are fine for as an inflation hedge, but they're not the best inflation hedge. They're, they're really not. Um, so if you're looking to hedge inflation, then I would rather own commodities, for example. I wouldn't own tips. I think tips are uh, you have to buy them the right time. Like I said, when you pr- when you buy tips in general there is a certain level of inflation that is built in inflation expectations that are built in. They're they're called tips break evens. And so if inflation ends up coming in higher than what's built in, then you, you, that's the hedge against inflation that increase. But if the opposite happens and you buy it when inflation break evens are very high and inflation realized inflation is actually lower, you actually lose money. So I don't like that bet because you, you know, especially for the average investor, you don't really know what that break-even rate is, how do you analyze it, et cetera. Um, so tips just aren't that exciting uh, as an investment for me. Unless you're only going fixed income and you really want uh, inflation uh, 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 protection, then that's one way to go. But uh, there are much better other ways to hedge against inflation. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to questions quickly. JDC Auburn in Beirut says, I know you guys have liked Old Republic, ORI, but do you think WR Berkeley might be better? ORI pays a higher dividend, but WRB looks to be a bigger grower. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily want to pinpoint growth. Uh, to be honest with you, and you can see that with Silicon Valley Bank, they've been they were growing and, and they they were going at the wrong time. So uh, I I look more at profitability. I think that would be a, a more important driver for my decision making versus uh, versus growth, at least in the near term, because that can that can certainly ebb and flow. Now with Old Republic, return on equity right now is about eleven percent. Long term average is about fourteen percent, whereas W.R. Berkeley, that one, let's see if I can pull that up real quick. That one's sitting at about 20%, 21%, long-term average about 13 So right now it looks like it's over-earning a little bit, and that would be my worry is that that that's coming back down to earth, uh, or, or the mean reversion, excuse me, uh, for W.R. Berkeley. ORI is going to be steadier, and... Its relative strength is is much much better, especially as of late. So, uh, if I'm picking one, uh, I'm gonna pick ORI. I'm not gonna pay up for WR Berkeley because it's over earning right now. And we're going into a short break, but I'm here ready for your calls on Invest Talk eight 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 ninety nine chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future. But getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk 
888-99-CHART. Now, as the banking crisis that happened over the weekend unfolded, as expected, the rating agencies were late to the game, and Moody's cut its view on the entire banking system to negative from stable. And this is after, on Monday, when they warned uh, that uh, it was downgrading or placing on review for downgrade seven individual institutions. And those were First Republic, Intrust Financial, UMB, Zion Bank Corp, Western Alliance, and Comerica. And this is important because it could impact the, the credit rating and thus the borrowing costs for the sector as a whole. And especially in the banking industry, because the cost of capital, and that's what banks are doing. They're lending out capital. So whatever their cost of capital is, that is an impact on their profits and make, could potentially make them less competitive, especially compared to their larger brethren. And typically, these smaller banks, they deal with more niche markets like Silicon Valley Bank. They try to cater to these niche markets and sometimes that works out very well. Uh, sometimes they don't. And obviously, this sheds light on substantial unrealized security losses on all banks. Now, one thing most are, are not paying attention to, though, is our hedges. There's two sides of the coin here. Most, lar- most banks hedge their interest rate risk. Silicon Valley Bank did not. But those with non-retail deposits that may be uninsured, they could see more depositor flight. It kind of sheds the light on, hey, I can go get treasuries yielding 4 or 4.5% versus my bank, which is paying me next to nothing still on my deposits. And so I think it actually has an impact across the banking sector as a whole. But the larger banks will actually, I think, benefit. This is probably going to create some consolidation within the banking industry. There are a lot of smaller banks. And those big banks are going to naturally get more more deposits. Because why would you, even though they backed up, stopped the whole system, it's just going to be more natural for people to move money into kind of the big five. And once again, this could be a sharp increase in the cost of deposits. Which remember, there's the net interest margin. That's what banks do. They borrow short, they lend long. The issue right now is that the yield curve is inverted. Less inverted after today, but it's inverted. Which means that they're, if they were to go pay close to the Fed funds rate on their deposits... Not only would they have negative cash looks, a lot of their their holdings of assets like treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, they are yielding less than the 4 or 5% of the Fed funds rate. And so that's the worry here. And that's why I think Moody's downgraded all. It's not just that capital flight. It's more of hey, the rising cost of capital across the industry as a whole. And the firm expects the U.S. economy to fall into recession later this year, which obviously would 
put pressure on the industry. I, I don't really disagree there. So, but the lesson there is usually movies is late. To, the rating agencies in general, they're always late to the game. That's why they're interesting to look at, but uh, don't follow them for the advice on what's going to go bankrupt next because you're usually very bad at that. Let's go to Alberto in San Jose looking at IP International Paper. Yeah, hello, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. Um, uh, I've held IP for a while now. I know they're the biggest supply, one of the biggest suppliers to the corrugated uh, manufacturers. Um, and I know that they, the impact in supply chain has been heartfelt. Um, would you consider holding on to this one? Uh, I'd like to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I think that's the worry here is that a lot of their operations are overseas, China, India, Russia, Brazil, kind of difficult markets to operate in right now. And, but, but you would say long-term their profitability is usually high, usually at 21% average return on equity. But how much is that because of globalization and their ability to produce overseas that'd be the worry earnings this year is supposed to fall 13 percent. analysts continue to downgrade the stock it pays a dividend but the payout ratio uh, pay ratio looks fine but they do have a decent amount of debt on their balance sheet you know i think that's that's what this is this is more of a geopolitical risk i like that they're buying back shares that's a positive their free cash flow is about $1.2 billion, trailing 12 months. That's strong. It's usually consistently positive. I think your worry here, once again, is that geopolitical factor. The technicals don't look great. I think that's what would, would really scare me off on this one, is just the technical picture. Uh, hasn't looked great for a while and continues in a downtrend. So uh, I wouldn't own it because of that geopolitical background and the chart. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI Red Teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. 
That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com, HackerOne.com. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99Chart. On the next Invest Talk, we look into the story behind this headline. Analysts blame the banking crisis as oil tumbles to lowest levels since December 2021. Now, retests of October's lows could add increased downward pressure on WTI crude and energy stocks may struggle given the surplus of weakening demand outlook. So we'll look at that story tomorrow and see how much credence it really has. But that's tomorrow. Now let's tackle another voice bank question that came in from 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Tom from Minnesota. Hey, I had a quick question on a bad buy that I did a few years ago. I started investing about three years ago, and it's on Carnival. CCL is the ticker symbol. And the question is, is, you know, I've heard Steve talking about, you know, you never buy stocks that don't buy money. Well, when I started, I wasn't following that very well. So I would buy Carnival at maybe 50 shares a time and went through the last three years and ended up mounting to about 1,100 shares of Carnival at 50 at a crack, so buying on all the way down. And so now it's been low forever. I haven't bought any for about a year. Just now I'm becoming wiser, see, listening to you guys. Anyway, question is, Carnival, do we see any hope for this, or should I just dump the whole thing, take my lumps, and move on? So it's a lot of shares. I probably lost 10 grand on it, I suppose. What should we do there? Should I just get out of it and get into something else? I know. I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right. This is Carnival Corp, Carnival Cruises. And certainly they were probably the most impacted industry during the pandemic. They went from making $4.40 back in 2019 to losing $7.40. 47 cents in 2020, $7 again in 2021, $4.67 last year, and expected to lose only 8 cents, though, this year, and expected to earn 88 cents next year. And analysts continue to upgrade those earnings. So the earnings upgrade trend is certainly in their favor. And the question is, can it get back to reasonable levels of profitability pre-pandemic? And as... People kind of, as, as, as the pandemic is more and more in the rearview mirror, people build up more immunity to uh, COVID, either through getting COVID or uh, continuing to get boosted, et cetera. I think people are going to be more open to going, going back on cruises. There's a lot of boomers retiring or have retired during the pandemic and continue to retire, and they're going to have a lot of time in their hands, and many retire, retirees like to cruise. So there's some secular tailwinds that that I like. The only issue here is to get through the pandemic. Since they had so much debt, they issued a lot of shares. They doubled their nearly doubled their shares outstanding from pre-pandemic to today. So 
that's really the worry here is how much have you been diluted the shareholder over that time? And when can they get back to an assemblance of of profitability? Last quarter, they lost 85 cents still. So I, I this is a tough one. I don't know how much it sounds like you have roughly $90,000 in this name. Hopefully that's hopefully you have 10 million and 90,000 is a big deal. I sense that you probably don't, but um you know, it's more about the percentage of your overall portfolio. I don't know what that is. And I would try to right size it. I kind of like it as a flyer as a small position because of the longer track history. And I think over time, they the, the demand for cruising will bounce back. And it has bounced back. It's just not to the level it was before, naturally. But people have you know, relatively short memories. They'll forget about it, and they'll, they'll kind of move on. Uh, and they'll start cruising again. So it's more to me uh, the, the exposure you have within the space and whether or within that name. Uh, so I would try to right-size it, say that. Let's uh let's touch a bit on the shale industry and you know there's a boom in oil production due to due to shale over the last decade and it made the US the world's largest producer but the recent trend within the shale patch may make that a thing of the past a few years out and the trends are showing that shale growth is nearing its peak Frackers are hitting fewer big, big gushers like the Permian Basin or in the Permian Basin. That's America's busiest oil patch. And it shows that the catalog of good wells are drying up. Now, recent results between the West Texas and New Mexico area of the Permian show there's, there's a, a production plateau that has taken place, especially in the areas that have been drilled a lot over the last uh, 10 years. Now, last week, there was a major industry conference and many executives saw stagnation in the shale patch. And they see a return to dependency on more foreign sources of oil, which obviously are more volatile, more geopolitically volatile, say that. Oil production from the ten, from the best 10% of wells drilled in the Delaware region of the Permian was 15% lower, 15% lower last year than the top wells in 2017. The average well put out 6% less oil than last year. So it's not a dramatic decline, but it's kind of a steady low to mid single digits decline from the oil pat major oil patches here in the US each year. Now oil production in the US rose from about 7.2 million barrels a day a decade ago to a high of about 13 million barrels a day right before the pandemic. And these trends are have helped a lot of companies. Companies like Chevron, Devon Energy, and the top 10% of wells Chevron bought online across Delaware last year were about 10 per, 25% less productive on, at, productive on average 
than its wells the year before. And Chevron missed its oil production targets in that region last week. And they cited higher than expected depletion rates. Remember, that's what's happening in the shale patch. And that's what got oil prices down for most of the 2010s, was this growth in the shale regions. But that's kind of behind us to a degree. So the global oil markets will have to rely heavily on the Middle East, mainly, for production growth. And that's why I think, despite this recent pullback in oil, you're likely to see higher oil over time. Because it's more of a supply issue. Everyone focuses on demand. But what's going to take is a really bad, a really bad economy. Oh, wait, there was a very modest decline in oil demand. So you have to have a really bad economy for oil demand to drop. And back after this year, it's expected for oil demand to hit a record. Now we've got a special event coming up in one week. That is Wednesday, March 22nd. That's Fed Day, actually. I didn't realize that. It's Fed Day. 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're going to present our new wealth webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio for Profitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. It is free. It'll be a crash course on how to structure your value portfolios. Give me real examples of the assessment tools that KPP Financial uses every day to grow our clients' wealth. I'll be anchoring the webinar. And we joined by KP Financial Portfolio Manager, Luke Guerrero. So mark your calendars one week from today at 2 p.m., 2 to 3 Pacific time. You're invited to the new KPP Wealth Webinar. Value investing, positioning your portfolio on profitability, relative price, and dividend payments. It's free, but you have to register over on investtalk.com. Now we'll pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank next, so hang on. Thank you, and I hope to be the 50 millionth download of your incredible show. It is official. As of February 21st, an exciting new Invest Talk milestone was achieved. The Invest Talk podcast exceeded 50 million downloads. How do you guys determine a value stock? 50 million. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. Hey guys, it's Josh from South Carolina. I'm a long-time listener. 24-7, rain or shine, on tough market days or during brighter moments. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your questions. Our now preferred share is kind of a hybrid asset. It's part of the capital structure. You want to buy this what's on sale, and when it gets on sale, it's about $16 a share. $50 million. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. I'm calling to say thank you for just guiding my portfolio. You guys were pretty accurate on calling the tech sector being totally overvalued, even the oil and gas calling that before the rally. And uh, even recently saying that you were pretty neutral or underweight on the regional banks and you know, look how that's doing right now. So thank you for helping all of us in my portfolio, especially. I wanted to ask about gold and silver. That's also something that you guys have been buying over the years and that I've been owning for three or four years now. It has, rallied in the last couple of days after you know not doing much so i just i do own companies like franco nevada agi aem just 
wanted to get your take on the gold and silver space in the sector, what you guys are looking at, how you feel about it being a buying opportunity, and uh, how long do you think you'd hold it for? What do you think gold would be? Stuff like that. Again, thank you for your help. Appreciate the answer. Yeah, I think this situation certainly helps the gold space, the precious metal space, and you've seen that over the past few days. Certainly, you had a bit of a pullback in early to, to mid-February, found support around the 100-day moving average, and now moved higher. This is on the gold price anyway. And this area should do well as long as the Fed is moving more towards a easier monetary policy. So what you're probably going to see is strength until there's more of an all-clear where they don't have to loosen policy again. And the next move would be tightening. And this is kind of what the market had sniffed out back in November, right? That's where, that's when gold bottomed after the, the recent pullback for, uh, you know, since the spring of last year into the fall, it's about a six, seven month period where, where, uh, where, where gold pulled back amongst the, uh, in the midst of a kind of a longer term uptrend. Uh, and then it took off again, just kind of reiterating. When it's seen that the Fed is going to be going to have tighter monetary policy, gold's going to struggle. But we see going forward, we're near the peak, right? You see that right now. This is they've gone to a point where they they broke something. They broke something back in the fall with uh, Japan and uh, the gilt market in, in the UK. Both of those precipitated easing behind the scenes, and this one is going to precipitate likely a more outwardly pivot. Stopping QT, pausing rate hikes, probably cutting them by year end, uh, etc. So as long as that continues, uh, I think gold and silver should do fairly well. Now let's touch on that. Let's touch on the Fed. And what's interesting that so far this week, investors are rapidly increasing the bets that the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates this year. In fact, there's now a hundred basis points of cuts priced into the curve going out a full year. And bond traders see it about a 50-50 that the Fed will even raise rates at all a week from today. It's at 50-50 right now. 50 basis points off the table. And futures markets are pricing in that they could cut rates as soon as June by a quarter point and bring this, the Fed funds rate down to 3.9% by the end of the year, which would be one percentage point lower than the expected peak of 4.9% that the market was expecting in May. Yields on the two-year note which are the most sensitive to interest rate expectations, they fell 0.27 percentage points today to 3.98%. That's down from 5% just last week. So over 100 basis point difference there. And market participants were expecting the Fed to hike until something broke. And obviously that, that happened now. But what's interesting is that speculators had been the shortest on bonds on record. The Commodities Futures Trading Commission showed that the largest 
ever short position, which would be a bet on higher rates and the two-year treasury, happened in mid-February. So a month ago. And what you're seeing here is a pretty big unwind. And then on top of what happened over the weekend with the banks, you had the PPI number came out, fell 0.1% in February versus a small increase, which is what was expected. And that's a more accurate interpretation of what's happening in the on the inflation front. Remember, the CPI number that came out yesterday, there is a huge component of shelter that is lagging. It is a terrible way to look at inflation. PPI is a lot more accurate. So they have enough ammunition to pause, and now there's a 50% chance they will. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to hear your questions. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Brian from Florida. Congrats on the 50 million downloads. What I wanted to call and ask about is I know you guys were fans of Steel Dynamics, and I was wondering if that opinion has shifted or if you've reduced your position in that in light of the macro picture that's been developing over the past couple of weeks and particularly this week. And I was just wondering if that theme has shifted, if you would encourage shifting from commodities or lowering commodity exposure at this time. Let me know. I'll be listening on the podcast. Thank you. Well, we've we haven't. Let's. I'll be clear. I we don't own Steel Dynamics. Uh, it's one of the better ones in the steel industry. Uh, so, but we don't love the steel industry. Uh, you know, each of the commodity markets they have their own interesting dynamics and and uh, long term profitability trends. And steel just tends to be one that is is in the lower half of of attractiveness when it comes to uh, the commodity space in general. Uh, why? And the main reason is it's it's much easier to increase supply in that space than many other commodities because your iron ore is very abundant, uh, and you just fire on the uh, the the furnaces and and you can cook up some steel. And so long periods of really high margins uh, tend to be pretty rare in the industry. So that's why we don't love uh, the steel industry in general. But if I'm going to buy one, Steel Dynamics is definitely near the top of the, the list. Let's just say that. Uh, uh, where is the support? It's around $90 per share. Now it's at 101. That's down from 136 was the recent high. But there is major support right around $90 per share. So if you were going to pick it up, that would be the area that I'd pick it up. Uh, about the commodity space in general, once again, it, it's more about lack of supply coming out of Russia, coming out of other parts of the, of, of the world, uh, and uh, lack of investment in new, new mines uh, that can bring things out of the ground uh, to be used, whether that's copper, lithium, uh, et cetera. There, there are other ones that, are, like I said, are better than steel. And so to me, this pullback, while it could have a little further to go, I think uh, in general in the commodity space, it's uh, more of a buying opportunity. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on globalization and or deglobalization. You know, that's uh, been a big theme we've talked about. Uh, and 
in, in many ways, what probably a more accurate characteristic or, or characterization of it would be is regionalization. Talked about a multipolar world. That's one way to think about it. Because we all know, you don't have to be an expert to know that geopolitical tensions are rising. East versus West. And a full 86% of investors and CEOs see deglobalization as a, as a risk. They see supply, global supply chains poised to unwind. Now the question is how much of that is reality? How much of that is talk? And how long will it take? Now global trade as a percentage of GDP reached a peak of around 30% in 2013. And as of 22, that was about 26%. So what you can see here is it's declining, but not at a rapid pace. And I would say, if you look at the recent trends, you actually see global trade picking up a little bit. Now, a lot of that has to do with just the total economy globally picking up and growing. So that's part of it. But what I will say is that this is going to be a process. It's not easy. Not easy to find the suppliers. One thing that China's been really good at, because they are more of a command economy, They're able to build the infrastructure and make China a, a, a hub for manufacturing and sourcing all different types of, of products, both internally and externally. With many ports and the ability to move those, the widgets, shall we say, into areas where they're going to be put into the finished product. That's what China really has done. They're, they don't actually produce a whole lot of high-value goods, but they put a lot of things together. But that takes a lot of infrastructure to do. So this deglobalization is going to be a process of figuring out how to take that process and move it. And a lot of times, with especially electronics, it takes multiple parts from across the world, and therefore it's going to be a slow, probably painful process, but still an inflationary one. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which, as you know, you can find at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to follow Invest Talk on social media. And if you like and tag free friends in our 50 for 50 million posts, you may win a free subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter for one year. We're giving you away 10 per week over the next three weeks and uh yeah we do it every we pick every thursday so tomorrow's thursday so if you want to join in the fun and maybe win do it today independent thinking shared success this is invest talk good night invest talk is a trademark of kpp financial because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security? Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. 
Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening. And your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.